Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number seven of Horror Horrors. That's right, lucky number seven. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have a very exciting episode ahead. But before we start, I'm your host, Justine the Pumpkin Queen, and we have zero of our usual co-hosts with us today. <laughs> None of them are here. Maggie, Denise, Ellie, they're all gone. <laughs> Just for this episode, they're not with us. But we have a brand new co-host, which we're so excited about. Um, she's with us today. Everyone say hello to Vivian. Hi. <laughs> um, how are you today? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Excited to get started chatting with everyone on the podcast. I know. We're so excited to have you. I'm so sorry they're not here today. I swear stuff like this always happens. <laughs> no, it's okay. We it's make- Mercury Retrograde. <laughs> We've been talking about that so much lately in our group chat. Um, yeah, it's so funny. The The moment you're here, there, and that happened last time too um, for our last episode Maggie had returned because she wasn't with us for a couple of episodes, and when she finally came back, none of them were here. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's like you lose 10, but you gain one. (laughs) Yeah, it happens. (laughs) But yeah, we're so excited to have you. Um, So Vivian is a part of our main show, which is The Nerdy Bunch. You guys already know. Um, And she's also part of The Nerdy Bunch's new Marvel podcast, Amalgam, which she co-hosts with one other Nerdy Bunch member. Um, so first, tell us how this new show is going and maybe like a little description of what it's all about. Yeah. So again, I co-host the It's a Marvel and DC podcast with the lovely Jasmine Page. She is my co-host. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. It is called Amalgam. Um, we kind of chose the title because Amalgam comes from the comics publication that combines both DC and Marvel characters. So mm-hmm. Since they merge different characters from both universes, we thought it'd be a perfect title since we're planning on switching back and forth between Marvel and DC each season. Um, and I so far this season, I know everyone's always like, why Amalgam? Like, what does that mean? Uh-huh. Um, but this season, we've just been focusing on WandaVision and kind of breaking down each new episode. Um, we release our our podcast episodes every Monday on all podcast streaming platforms. So if you want to tune in, if you're a Marvel fan or if you're starting off Marvel fan, <laughs> trying to learn, I need to I need to hop on because, well, I've never been like big with Marvel, although I never disliked it either. I've just never got like into it. Um, but if I had to pick one, I would say I'm a little bit more DC, even though I don't kind of know a lot about either. Um, but Batman's my favorite. Like, <laughs> I love him. I do love Spider-Man. Spider-Man's my second favorite. But yeah, um, Batman's my absolute favorite. That's probably the only one that I ever really paid attention to. Um, but mostly the trilogy with um, Christian Bale. <laughs> yeah, the Dark Knight trilogy. Oh, I feel like so anyone good. who is a DC fan, like, that's that's the go-to is that It trilogy. is. I'm obsessed with it. Those are so, like, such beautiful movies. Um. But yeah, I need to hop on because I know I don't really know anything about Marvel. Yeah, and it's okay. <laughs> so I need to get on it. We got something for everybody, so. Yeah, exactly. And I love that name. It's so clever to combine both. And uh, just like you said, when I first heard Amalgam, I was saying Amalgam. I was like, Amalgam, but I already liked it because I was like, that's so different. Like, it's not 
a we, name that you would think. <laughs> you know what? Me and Jasmine were also pronouncing it Amalgam because oh, you know really? no one you can read a book and no one's gonna tell you how names are pronounced because you're reading it yourself. Right. So when we read, when we came across the name, you know, we thought Amalgam. And then one day I was like, you know what? Let me Google this because who knows if we're pronouncing it right. So yes. I had to like, Google say it to me and she was like, Amalgam. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, we need to fix that. <laughs> what if Google's wrong? Google could be wrong. I know. <laughs> someone needs to fact someone needs to Google Google. You never know. That's true. Because you know why I say that though? Because have you ever like uh, had Suri say things back to you? Like if you have an iPhone and sometimes she says things really weird. That and is you're true. like, right. I would think that she would be correct. This is Apple. Like <laughs> I pay so much for this phone. But yeah, sometimes she pronounces things really funny. So it's like it kind of makes me wonder, like, is Google really correct? Or <laughs> or sometimes I'll use Google Translate and I'll read things like I'll try to translate from English to Spanish and then I'll read the Spanish translation that Google Kate gave me. And I'm like, mm, you know what? I'm pretty sure that's not right. Yeah, exactly. That's I'm like, I don't know if I trust Google. No, but that's they, it might be right with that one. It's hard to say. But yeah, it that's is. been happening to me a lot lately. I've been having because I always I grew up reading. I've always been a really good reader. I've always been like um, advanced, not to show off. I'm just no, <laughs> but I've always been a super, yeah, like a super good reader and writer since I was younger. But in the more recent days lately, I've been realizing that there's so many things I'm pronouncing wrong. And I don't know what I'm like, is it because I stopped reading? Like, like what is wrong with me? But I've been noticing that, that I've been just like you said, because you read things and you read it in your own way. And you think you're reading it right, but you never know. So like one of the words lately I keep getting wrong or for a long time I kept getting wrong was um, the word facade. So I kept reading it as facade. I don't know why it kept coming out as facade. No, it's I'm um, the same way. There is a because when you see, you can you can know a word, but you might not like you might have never come across it written down. So when you finally mm-hmm. see it written down, you're like, oh, I'd, like, oh, the word is viola or voila. If I read it, I would pronounce it Viola, but I know yes. that Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then another one, too, which has to do with um, kind of our show, right, is macabre. So macabre is like one of those like spooky, it means like spooky, like dark things, right? And I kept reading it as macabre for some reason. Macabre, because <laughs> it ends with R-E. Yeah. So, I was reading that macabre, so. Oh, my God. <laughs> It makes me feel bad about myself. I'm like, do I not know how to read like I thought I did? I thought I was like a good reader. We're just, we're always learning. That's why. That's true. I know what's happening, but, but yeah, I'm, I learned that. I'm like, I need to, if I'm like unsure about a word or I've never heard it before, I'm going to start Googling it. She might be wrong too, but (laughs) it's worth a shot because I'm like, I keep fucking saying everything wrong, but no more. (laughs) moving forward yes moving forward now literally moving forward now um (laughs) so we know that so we know you love marvel we know you love dc um but you're also one of us you're a bruja we hear Mm -hmm. (laughs) um because you know that's one of our key requirements if you want to sit with us you got to be about that life right (laughs) You got it. You can't. Sit, what is it from Mean Girls? You can't sit with us if sit you're with not. Us, but uh, you gotta be spells on the weekends. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah. So we. You so you're obviously you love Marvel DC, but you're here on our podcast. So, um, 
we would love to know what is it that you like or love about horror and Halloween um, and what's your connection like with this genre and with this holiday? Yeah, so I have always been a horror fanatic. Like, I was in middle school, and my favorite movie was House of a Thousand Corpses. It's probably not normal for a nine-year-old, but you know. It's not. That was <laughs> such a good choice. That's a really mature choice. <laughs> yeah, and I remember asking my uncle too, like, can you please like download this onto a disc for me so I can have it? Because, you know, my mom wasn't going to let me buy that DVD. Mm-hmm. Um but no, I just – I love that. I love the campiness of horror. It can be so cliche and cheesy, but that's what I really love about it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's something about the naive babysitter walking into the exact room that the scary sound came from with a butter knife that just, you know. The classics. Yeah. That reminds me of like the classic like slashers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's yeah, – I don't know. I, I like the – yeah, the campiness of it. I like how creative you can be with horror. Like there's no – I don't know. There's no limit to it whether it's – character development or the setting choice or even the color scheme of a movie um any genre can really become horror i'm still waiting for like a marvel superhero horror film because i think it can happen you know what it kind of sounds like i didn't get to see it oh what is that movie um venom was venom sort of like that yes yeah venom it wasn't so much horror but it was a lot more i guess if i would have put it in any type of category like psychological and thrilling right that's what it looked like from the commercial and i remember it had came um it had come out during october too so i was like why does this look spooky (laughs) and i swore i was gonna watch it and i didn't (laughs) It's a good movie. It's definitely – it, like, fits that vibe, that spooky Right. Vibe. Yeah, it looks like that, especially because he's, like, in all black and he has, like, this really, like, creepy-looking face. Yeah, it's almost haunting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I think that's my favorite part about horror is uh, the – I mean, I love all kinds of horror and, you know, as – and I've talked about this on the podcast before of how even though, you know, I'm the host of the show and I love horror, I'm still sort of learning about it as I go. Yeah. I'm still sort of like um, – how do you say it? Like gaining more and more comfort with certain things and watching certain things. It's still kind of spooky for me too actually. But um, what made me love horror the most and when I think about horror – What I think about the most is that those really classic um, slashers, you know, my favorite of all time is Halloween 1978. Um, So that for me, that's horror. You know what I mean? Even though, again, it's so diverse and it could be anything, just like you said. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I definitely, like you said, the campiness was such a good way of putting it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so thank you for sharing that. And how about Halloween? How do you feel about that? Okay, Halloween is my favorite season. It is not a holiday because it is an entire season. It's not just the one day. I mm-hmm. think I can remember as far back as like being in first grade and asking my first grade teacher if I could bring a book. It was my favorite book at the time. It was called The Pumpkin Patch. Um, Ooh, and I think I still have you. it somewhere. <laughs> and asking if I could read it to the class just because I loved the Halloween season and I wanted like everyone to enjoy it with me. Uh-huh. Um, and it's so funny because I was actually, or still am, like the biggest scaredy cat. Like even now, I still have to run up the stairs after I turn the lights off. Oh my um, god, same. But I was so obsessed with ghosts and witches and the supernatural, and that's like the only time that it's normal to be obsessed with that is around Halloween time. Mm-hmm. So that's when I that's when I thrived. <laughs> 
I love that. Yes, most of us, uh, it started for us in childhood, right? Especially because as a kid, it was so like, it was more of like this childlike uh, kind of like wonder with Halloween because it wasn't as spooky to us then maybe like because it was more of like trick-or-treating and costumes and like playing yeah that's how it started for me that's how my love started too but um yeah I'm the same way I I'm easily scared (laughs) as well like I said um so it's kind of something it's a good reminder you know I think it's good to think about how you can love horror, but that doesn't mean you don't get scared. You know what I mean? And there's sort of like a paradox with it, I guess, in a way. Like you love it, but it's terrifying. But that's what people love about it, though, because it kind of um, – how do you say it? It sort of uh, challenges you. Yes. And, um, you know, people love that. They love purposely, like, getting scared or scaring themselves. So it's always sort of like this simultaneous kind of like uh, liking it but being terrified at the same time. <laughs> I, I feel like – I really believe that just humans themselves have this weird fast like there's a I feel like there's a dark part to every person and right. they and I don't know horror kind of just lets humans feed that weird part of our, part of ourselves that enjoy those like dark <laughs> things but it's in a in a normal way. Yeah, and like face it as well. I feel like for me yes. uh with horror it it helps me face my fears. <laughs> that is um, very true. That's yeah. how I am with Halloween. Like ho- trick or treating every year, I would be. I used to be so scared to walk up to like the scariest houses, but it was a uh-huh. chance to actually like push myself to do that. Right to try, and then once it once you kind of get it over with, it's like okay, <laughs> like that was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. So it's cool. It's kind of like this thing that you build up. Yeah, it almost helps you like build up your strength and like your. I don't even know, like what you can handle, you know, and it just kind of like gets better and better over time. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way um, to see it. Or see it. Yeah. (laughs) But all right. Thank you so much for that intro. Again, we're so happy to have you a part of our little coven. I know the rest of the coven isn't here, but it's all right. They're here in spirit. (laughs) They're here in spirit. Exactly. (laughs) What is that called? No, pun not intended. Or what is it? No, pun intended. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pun not intended. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Yeah. Let's get started with the topic of the day, um, and that is going to be The Shining. Um, was this your first time seeing The Shining, or have you seen it before? I've seen it before when I was younger, but this was definitely my first time watching it in a very long time. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so was it? did it almost feel like brand new? It did. I actually I recently watched Dr. Str- – not Dr. Strange, Dr. Sleep – um, yeah. So it was nice mm-hmm. to be able to come back to the original and to see this um, and kind of watch it with like, I don't know, I was almost watching it with like a fresh pair of eyes because I've had that, I don't know, knowledge from the prequel or the sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I I actually haven't seen Dr. Sleep and I was going to mention that too um, later on the episode, but um, yeah, that is the sequel basically to The Shining. Um, I have not seen it, but I'm going to watch it soon and we'll probably talk about that as well. I heard it's really good. Um, but all right, let's get started with The Shining though. <laughs> um, so this is written, directed, and produced by the late Stanley Kubrick. Um, this is my second favorite horror film of all time. Like I just said, Halloween 1978 is my number one. Um, But this is a very close second. Um, So I'm going to start by summarizing the whole movie for those who have not seen it. Um, In our Us episode, which is our fifth episode, I talked about how I'm going to start doing this uh, when we talk about movies. 
um, so that if you haven't seen it, uh, but you still want to enjoy the episode and like you don't mind the spoilers, we got you covered. Um, but it also adds a fun little storytelling element to the show instead of just straight to like a discussion, you know what I mean? So, um, but let us know your thoughts as well. If you like the summarizations or if you prefer it to be right to the discussion, um, we always want to hear your feedback. Um, and for those who do mind spoilers, then pause right here, go watch the film and come back because I'm going to be spoiling the entire movie right now. <laughs> um, so here we go. Are you ready? We're very ready. <laughs> All right. Let's go. So it starts with Jack Torrance, a writer who is interviewed at the Overlook Hotel, a remote resort built on top of Native American uh, burial ground in the Colorado Rockies for a five-month-long caretaker position. During this time, the hotel closes and Jack plans to use that solitude to write. The manager of the hotel lets Jack know that 10 years prior, a previous caretaker suffered a complete mental breakdown and killed his family there, then killed himself. He warns that it was boiled down to cabin fever and that the tremendous sense of isolation could have an effect on people. But Jack seems rather unaffected by this story and insists that he and his family will be just fine and accepts the job. Back at home, Jack's son, Danny, has a disturbing premonition about the hotel and blacks out. His mother, Wendy, calls a doctor to check Danny and later reveals to her that Jack is a recovering alcoholic and once injured Danny in a drunken rage. The family arrives at the hotel and are given a tour where we find out that the head chef, Dick Halloran, has the same telepathic abilities as Danny. Dick explains to Danny that he shared this gift with his grandmother, who called it Shining. He tells Danny that the hotel has a shine too and warns him to stay away from room 237. Now a month passes, Jack's writing goes nowhere, and a heavy snowstorm is beginning to pass through, leaving the phone lines down. Danny continues to have frightening visions while Jack is having more and more violent outbursts as his mental health deteriorates. Wendy finds Jack screaming during a nightmare in which he explains he dreamt about killing her and Danny. Danny enters the room, visibly traumatized and bruised up. Wendy accuses Jack of being responsible, which he denies, and then wanders off into the hotel's ballroom to find a ghostly bartender named Lloyd, to whom he complains about his marriage. Wendy finds Jack and tells him that Danny was actually attacked by a crazy woman in room 237, explaining the bruises. Jack investigates the room and finds a dead woman's ghost, but tells Wendy he sees nothing. He proceeds to argue about whether or not they should leave the hotel and then returns to the ballroom, which is now filled with ghosts, attending a ball. He meets a ghostly waiter who informs Jack that he has always been the caretaker. He also tells Jack that Danny is using his talent to contact Halloran and that he must correct his family. After telepathically sensing Danny's fear, Halloran flies back to Colorado and makes his way to the hotel. Wendy goes to find Jack and discovers that Jack has been typing the same phrase over and over again. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. She begs Jack, who is now in a full psychotic state of mind, to leave the hotel, but he threatens to kill her. 
She knocks him unconscious with a baseball bat and and locks him in the pantry. But her and Danny are trapped as Jack has already disabled the emergency radio and the snowcat. Jack converses with the ghostly waiter through the pantry door and promises to fulfill his duties, correcting his family as soon as he gets out. Delbert, the waiter, then unlocks the pantry and frees him. Danny goes into another trance, um, holding a knife and yelling red rum as he writes it on the bathroom door with his mother's lipstick. She wakes to his yelling and discovers that the writing on the door reads murder backwards. Jack now arrives at their room and breaks in with an axe. Wendy helps Danny escape through the bathroom window and does not fit through it herself. Jack breaks through the bathroom door, but retreats after Wendy slashes his hand with a knife. Hearing Halloran arrive with the snowcat at the same moment, Jack leaves the room to ambush and murder him, then pursues Danny into the hedge maze outside. Wendy runs through the hotel looking for Danny and encounters ghosts, a cascade of blood that Danny had seen in a vision, and finds Halloran's body. In the hedge maze, Danny outsmarts Jack and escapes, returning to Wendy. They leave in Halloran's snowcat while Jack, completely lost in the maze, freezes to death in the snow. The movie ends with a close-up shot of a photograph in the hotel with Jack front and center dated July 4th, 1921 that's a lot um it's like wow so before we look into this film a bit more um I want to know what did you think of this movie sorry I'm not super good at narrating it it's like one of those things where it's like it doesn't do it justice (laughs) you know what I mean like telling the story (laughs) but you know what I mean like watching it oh it's like a whole different story but um what did you think of this? I know you've seen it before, um, but like, what do you think of it overall? You know, what are your overall thoughts about the film and what do you rate it out of five stars? So out of five stars, I would give it, I have to get, I think I have to give it a five out of five as far as Mm -hmm. just classic horror films go, because it is a classic. Um, I think watching it now, years later, I I can appreciate it so much more and so much differently. Like I can appreciate because there's stunning visuals in this movie. Um, like the you know we have the the weird like cut scenes that they do with just random um, imagery and with like the blood flooding the hallway, the twins, Danny's face looking horrified. Just mm-hmm. all the different imagery I think is what really captured yes. my attention throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it's just there's something – it's not a scary movie. It it really is. Like I don't see it as a scary movie, but it's still horrifying and just gives you the chills. Yeah, right. When you think about the situation, right, it's sort of like a – I don't know if I want to say realistic, but in some ways it can be, right, if we look at it in certain ways. Like maybe not as much the – um, how do you say it? Like the paranormal – yeah. Um, it was a bit like you know, exa- a bit exaggerated, but um, yeah, I think in a lot of ways it can still be kind of something that in your daily life you can think about. Like, wait a minute, <laughs> like if I ever go to a hotel, now I'm gonna be scared. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like you can like just sitting in your room and watching the movie. Just the like the creepy things that happen throughout the movie make you kind of like I don't know. It makes you shiver. It makes you like question if you should walk to your kitchen by yourself or not. <laughs> 
Yes, definitely. Um, I would agree. I give it a five out of five as well. Like I said, it's my second favorite. It's close to being my very first. But um, yeah, hands down five out of five type of movie for me. Um, it's just like you said, the shots are so beautiful. It's a true, true cinematic masterpiece in my opinion. Uh, the cinematography uh, is just genius. Um, and Jack Nicholson's performance is, in my opinion, the absolute best I have ever seen just me. I mean, everyone's opinion is going to be different, right? But me personally, it's the best that I've ever seen. Um, it's just my favorite performance in any movie ever. Um, and I just deeply admire, you know, the art of it in so many ways, the art of this film. Um, and I got to say my favorite cinematic moments uh, in this film was uh, the scene of Danny or the scenes, there's, I think, a couple of them, of Danny uh, riding his little bike down all the hallways mm -hmm. and corridors yeah. and across the rooms and, like, the shots. Um, they're just so beautiful. Like, they're kind of, like, at his level. So it almost makes you feel like you're, like, you would know what it's like being that low, like, riding the bike. Right, So yeah. it kind of, like, gets to his level. And then, like, the sound of the bike that's going from, like, the hard floor to the carpet and then back to the hard floor – back onto the carpet. I think it was just so good. Like, it was so good. Um, but yeah. Um, did you have any last thoughts? I'm sorry. I didn't cut you off, did I? <laughs> no, you're good. Um, okay. No, I, I just five out of five rating for me. It's a classic yeah. horror film that everyone should watch. Yes, definitely a classic. Um, so this film is actually based, for those who don't know, um, it's based on Stephen King's 1977 novel of the same name. Um, after writing Carrie and Salem's Lot, this was his third published novel. Um, it's also followed by a sequel, like we just, we just talked about, um, which he wrote in 2013 called Dr. Sleep. Um, although Dr. Sleep, what year did the movie come out? Was it last not I think last it was year. Two years ago, so 2019. 2019, right? Okay. Yeah, so um Stephen King wrote the sequel in 2013. The movie just came out recently. Um, um again, I haven't seen it, so we're not gonna talk about it today. I don't want to know. <laughs> I usually don't mind spoilers, but this one I actually do want to see. Um, but yeah, we're not gonna mention anything about that today, but there is that sequel. Um but prior to uh, writing The Shining, um, Stephen King's uh, two previous novels were both set in Maine, uh, which is where he's from. Um, so for The Shining, he wanted to spend a year somewhere else for a different setting um, to kind of get ideas right elsewhere. Um, so he opened an atlas one day and he pointed at a random location and it landed on Boulder, Colorado. Uh, so on October 30th, 1974, uh, he and his wife checked into the Stanley Hotel in nearby Estes Park, Colorado, and they were the only two guests in the hotel that night uh, because they were closing for the winter season, just like in the book uh, and just like in the movie. Um, so they were served dinner in an empty dining room, and King recalls, um, this is his quote, he says, Except for our table, all the chairs were up on, on the tables around us. So the music is echoing down the hall. And I mean, it was like God had put me there to hear that and see those things. And by the time I went to bed that night, I had the whole book in my mind. Um, so he achieved what he set out to do, right? Um, going to a different location. He was inspired um, by this place and by this hotel. And the success of this book 
established him as a preeminent author in the horror genre. Um, so surely the success of the film would probably make him even more proud, right? But no, <laughs> Stephen King very much dislikes Stanley Kubrick's version of his story, even going as far as saying he hates it. Um, so yeah, so here's a quote from King himself criticizing both the film and Kubrick. He says, Parts of the film are chilling, charged with relentlessly claustrophobic terror, but others fall flat. Not that religion has to be involved in horror, but a visceral skeptic such as Kubrick just couldn't grasp the sheer inhuman evil of the Overlook Hotel. So he looked instead for the evil in the characters and made the film into a domestic tragedy with only vaguely supernatural overtones. That was the basic flaw. Because he couldn't believe, he couldn't make the film believable to others. What's basically wrong with Kubrick's version of The Shining is that it's a film by a man who thinks too much and feels too little. And that's why, for all its virtuoso effects, it never gets you by the throat and hangs on the way real horror should. What the fuck are you talking about, Stephen King? I, okay, <laughs> like, did we watch the same movie? Because I don't think we did. <laughs> Um, okay, so he says that Stanley couldn't grasp the evil of the hotel and that the supernatural, like, aura was vague, but all I saw was ghosts and, like, supernatural occurrences and all occurrences, I'm sorry, occurrences. <laughs> I'm getting excited, all right? I'm getting worked up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and all I saw was, you know, Jack descend into madness, like very clearly displaying how powerful the supernatural forces were in that hotel. Um, you know, they were the ones that were influencing, uh, you know, kind of his um, unraveling, you know, of his of his sanity. Um, so I think it just shows, like, look at what that power did to him and so quickly, too. Um, and then, you know, you have the ghost of the old woman who was literally powerful enough to strangle Danny and bruise him up. You know, they it, they weren't just capable of psychological and emotional harm, but these, um, you know, forces, right, supernatural forces were also causing physical harm. So um, I, you know, that we see this all throughout the movie. We see all these occurrences. Um, so I don't know, like, what did Stephen King not grasp? He said Stanley Kubrick didn't grasp it, but, like, what? I don't get what he didn't see from the movie. Um, and then he says that Kubrick uh, couldn't make the film believable to others. Like, speak for yourself. <laughs> it was believable to me. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the film wouldn't be so successful if it wasn't believable, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, Stephen King, he's an amazing writer you know he's come up with so many great stories but i just don't agree with him here at all um to me he sounds like a hater you know like he sounds like a little bit of a hater yeah, i mean i guess it is his it's it comes from his art so of course he's gonna have he's gonna be a critic yes that's exactly what i was gonna say right like um but like to me initially reading this, like like I said, I get I get like hater vibes. Like I almost feel like he's low-key jealous, right? Of like this could be wrong. I'm just but like I get this vibe, like, is he mad that Stanley Kubrick did so well? Like he almost seems like he's mad about it. But again, right, I don't know that that's the case, but it almost like it's almost the vibe I get. But I actually um, I I read that I don't know if you um if you've found this at all either. 
Um, but I read that Stephen King actually wrote his own movie script and shared it with Kubrick, and Kubrick refused to read it because he was so set on his like his idea and his vision. So I maybe did Stephen not King was bitter that. about that. Wait, oh my god, there you go. I had not heard that. You know, I did so much research on this movie for this episode, and I didn't find that. <laughs> That was the one thing I found. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'm gonna look into that. I did not hear that, but yeah, you never know. Um, I do know that I do know that Stephen King didn't have any involvement in the film, and I think he he did approve. Obviously, like he was okay with things being changed. Like we, I think. I think it's up to the writer, right? If they want to allow that to happen, but yeah. um, so I think he allowed that. He kind of knew Stanley was gonna do that, but. Um, yeah, it could have been, it could have been a little bit of, I guess, I don't know, animosity in that way. Who knows? But, um, but yeah, like you just said, you know, the one thing I can understand, right? Yeah. The one thing I can understand, um, is, you know, the perspective that maybe he's just really proud of what he created, right? With this story, um, especially because there's actually an autobiographical element, um, to the novel, um, because he was actually struggling with alcoholism at the time himself, as you know, Jack's character was. Um, so I, I can understand that love and that connection to your work, and you know, not wanting anyone to alter it. But I also don't think that there's any harm in just admitting, like, hey, this is not the story I was trying to tell, but this is still a good story. Like, even if it's not your preference, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, but. It, you know who knows? Yeah, I think I think overall he was kind of just mad that that Stephen King changed so much of it, and even though I think he knew he was going to change some things, I don't think he knew he was going to change it that much. You know, because <laughs> if you, I've never read the book, but there is a lot of significant differences, um, and you know, for those who've read it, we'll definitely know what those are. But yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of he's a little mad, you know, because that was his work and. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, was, so <laughs> I was gonna say, I also, I have also have not read the book. So I feel like because of that, I can appreciate the film just for what it is as a film, but who knows? Right. I want, I actually now I'm thinking like, as you're, as you were speaking, I was like, damn it, maybe I should read the book so that I can, I don't know, maybe I, it'll change mm -hmm. my perspective. <laughs> yeah, but then I don't I, want it to make me hate the movie. <laughs> I don't know. I know that's true, huh? Like maybe it'll be too different, but, um. I was thinking the same thing. I really want to read this book now. I don't read a lot anymore, like I was just saying <laughs> in the beginning of the podcast. But yeah, no, this definitely, or I would think any of Stephen King's work would be so worth it. Um, yeah. You know, his books have done so well and I have yet to read any of them. But yeah, I actually, after um, kind of doing all this research, I want to read it too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... There you have it. He doesn't like it. Um, he has also said that casting Jack Nicholson was a mistake because he believed it was too easy for the audience to realize he would end up uh, like going insane and suggested if he had cast an everyday type of man, it would have been more unnerving to see a more casual person lose their sanity. Um, again, I disagree with this too i think yeah. i think jack's eeriness right from the beginning made it scarier and made you more nervous to um to like see how far he would take it you know um and it actually reminded me 
of being in a relationship with an abuser, which I have been, um, Jack's character actually reminds me of this ex in a lot of ways, which in a lot of ways, which is uh, sad to even say. But um, for example, when you're with someone who you know already has a violent history. And this doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. Um, it, you know, it could mean literally just in the presence of someone, family, friend, whoever, right, with a violent history. And you start to see them deteriorate and have outbursts. Let me tell you, as a survivor of abuse, by a person who I watched and experienced getting increasingly and increasingly more violent and dangerous because of his mental health deteriorating, just like Jack's, that is terrifying. Because people in that condition are unpredictable and people in that condition, unfortunately, cannot be trusted and you don't feel safe with them. Whereas if it's an average Joe type of person who's not an, who's not abusive, right, and has no history of that, but you start to see them outburst, you know, you're probably going to be more worried for them, you know, like not as, not as much for yourself because yeah. it's going to be more like you know, this is not the person I know, something's going on, like I know they wouldn't hurt me type of energy. Like there's going to be more of that heart to it and that heart to the story, um, which I think is what Stephen King wanted, right? He wanted to see more sympathy because in his book, Jack's character had more sympathy. Um, but the thing is, Mr. King, <laughs> When we're talking about horror, that's just not as horrific as what Stanley Kubrick created. So, you know, Kubrick, he just, he knew his horror, you know, he knew what he was doing and he executed, you know, he set the tone right from the beginning, uh, you know, with the music, of course, but also that creepy ass interview, like the way Jack showed like no emotion when the manager was telling this awful story, um, and like just all these faces he were he was making like during that whole yeah, interview was so, so creepy and it was like very inconsistent too like it never made sense like every face was different it was so odd um and then it's like the only emotion they did show was like laughing back and forth which was so weird i don't know if i was the only one who thought that was weird but like oh yeah it was it like almost, unsettling yeah it's like very unsettling it almost seemed like the manager was too happy like telling the story right like didn't it look like he was he almost wanted to smile the whole time yeah, <laughs> like it was, like, it was really enjoyable for him to tell yeah it was so freaking weird um and, like, even when they're driving up to the hotel, like, the way Jack looked so happy, like, telling the story to um, to his son, like, about the cannibalism, it yeah. was, like, why does this bring so much joy to you? It was, like, so – dude, it was a freak show, okay? Like, it was a freak show. And um, – but and it was just like, – Sorry. Uh -huh. That's, like, every single – what I noticed, every single conversation that Jack had with any character, it was always so uncomfortably long just because, <laughs> I don't know. The way that he would speak or the faces he would make, he would kind of like drag the conversation in a way that was just so uncomfortable and unsettling. <laughs> and he did a great job at doing that. Yes. Um, yes. That's what I'm saying. His performance is like nothing I have ever, ever seen. Yeah. He, he was so good at it. And um, it was just excellent foreshadowing by Kubrick as well because it kind of like – it like foretold the fact that he was going to like turn into a freak. But yeah, like I said, to me, that's more terrifying. Um, but again, that's, you know, up to everyone's opinion. So I just don't agree with like almost anything 
that uh, Stephen King feels about this movie. I just, I think the opposite, you know, but again, to each their own, um, you know, everyone kind of has like a different perspective, but um, yeah, I'm going to shut the fuck up now. And I want to know, <laughs> I want to know what you think. Like, do you agree with Stephen King in some ways? I know you answered a little bit of it, but um, like, is there anything that you agree with him on or um, do you kind of feel the same way I do? Right. Or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, as far as Jack Nich- Nicholson goes, I cannot imagine absolutely anyone else playing this character. Mm-hmm. He's kind of already, I don't know, he's like the staple. I don't he has set a staple and an example for what those type of characters should be moving forward in this mm-hmm. genre. But um, Exactly. I can kind of I'm ac- I actually do disagree with you a little bit with what Stephen <laughs> King had to say about um his original review of the movie saying that there wasn't enough of showing that true like terror within the actual hotel and uh-huh. how he kind of focused more on the um, the characters going insane. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with him completely, but I would like to see – it would have been nice to see a little bit more of what he meant by that. Like okay. was mm-hmm. there more – and like I said, I haven't read the book so that I have nothing to really compare this to. Yeah, um, I know. I think about that too. I'm like talking shit, but I'm like, wait, I haven't seen the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like yeah. hearing him describe that makes me think like, okay, so I didn't think there was anything missing in the movie, but if Stephen King does, and I mean, he's the person who cre- kind of created this little world, this um, he created the the story. Mm-hmm. There must be something missing that's deeper in the hotel that really must explain a little bit more of why this place is so terrifying and so haunting and why it affected these characters as much as it did. But right. you you were right. I agree that we do see a lot of like um the hallways are haunted. We do see ghosts. Um mm-hmm. we see shit happen behind room 237 that's really terrifying. <laughs> um, right. Now I'm kind of thinking like could there have been more? I yeah. love the interpretation, but now I'm really like, huh, what else? Now, could I- now you have me thinking that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, you're so right. He could have a point. You're so right. Yeah, there maybe there could have been more evilness within the hotel himself. The hotel himself. We don't know if it's a boy <laughs> or a girl. <laughs> it's a he, uh, pronouns. Yeah, or like a they. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was my bad. I don't know why he came out, but um, it's okay. Yeah, we call didn't. It a she. <laughs> <laughs> I know we could just pick. Um, but yeah, no, we didn't get to see really like, um, or I guess there could have been ways that we could have seen more evil from the hotel itself. Um, it's true. I guess now that I think about it, I'm like, hmm, now what could we have? So, you know yeah, what I especially mean? Especially because it was on a, um, what is it? A, a Native American burial ground. Burial like, ground, We right. didn't see much of that in the movie, but it's like, it is a fact and it's there. So it's like, right. how could we have, how could he, how could Kubrick would have, um, how could Kubrick have tied that into the story a little bit more? Maybe mm-hmm. it would have shown us something more terrifying and deeper and supernatural. Yeah, yeah. But I think – I well, I kind of suspect, right? And I, I was going to talk about this at, toward the end of the podcast as well. But I, I sort of suspect that, um, you know, maybe a lot of the shit that's happening, like all that creepy stuff and that violence is because of that, because it's on – um, an Indian burial ground, which is has always been known as like a bad omen, right? Especially like in these scary stories. Um, so it could have a lot to do with that. It could have a lot to do with that. But, you know, I think there's a lot that Kubrick intentionally didn't specify. Um, and I think um, 
Yeah, I think he kind of did that purposely. I think he wants to make you think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he did that in a lot of ways throughout the film. Like, he wants you to sort of think about it. Same thing with, like, the ending of the film, right? Like, what the fuck was that? Like, I know I was initially confused oh, yeah. <laughs> when I saw that. And we'll get to that right now. That was going to be the next point. But, um, yeah, yeah, there could be um, – there that could have a, a lot to do with it. But, um. Yeah, I guess I just felt like there was a lot of creepiness as it is. And I think maybe when I think about um, like seeing more evilness from the hotel itself, I almost feel like that becomes less realistic at that point now. You know what I mean? It's like, is the hotel alive? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? You, so, you know what? You're right. It, it would then become Monster House. But um, yeah, oh my God, that was the first thing that came to my head. <laughs> Kubrick did he did have an excellent vision he had yeah. a vision and he went for it and he did it he portrayed it well and you know Stephen King might have disagreed uh, but it, by itself as a standalone movie if we don't compare it to I guess Stephen King's vision I think it's it's a good horror film yes exactly yeah so yeah there's so many ways that I see it <laughs> but um who knows right who knows maybe yeah maybe Stephen King himself had a particular vision. He did do a TV show, actually, um, which I have not seen. Did he? Yeah, so he he um, got to be a part of the Shining TV series, I believe it was, and um, that was like in nineteen, like ninety seven or ninety nine. Oh, um, okay. And he, I didn't know there was a series. Yeah, I I had just found that out as well. So I, you know, I guess we have to check that out and kind of see what his take is on it. So he did get to do that, and he also. Um, they went and filmed it at the actual uh, Stanley Hotel, which is the one that he was inspired by, which is what he oh, wow. would have mm-hmm. preferred Kubrick to do. And he didn't understand why Kubrick didn't choose the Stanley Hotel. Um, and instead, they filmed kind of like at different locations, like for exterior shots. And then they did a lot of it mostly on sound stages, I believe, like in a studio. Um, so yeah, that wasn't, there was quite a few things that, um, Stephen King was disappointed with, and that was one of them. But yeah, we got to check out his show because maybe we'll (laughs) maybe we'll get our questions answered. Like, mm -hmm, like what way? Like what way was he seeing it? You know. Um, but yeah. Uh, now going forward, looking at the ending of the film, um, how confused were you? Because, (laughs) like I said, I. Like when I first seen this movie, I was like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> and I kind of just I, left I it at that. <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny? I actually didn't, and normally I do. Like I sort of loved this movie so much the way it was, and I loved the mystery of it. Normally, I'm like, I need to know everything, but I had always left this movie as it was, and I had never figured out like really what that ending meant until this episode. Until I kind of did my research, and I'm like, okay, let's figure this out now. Um. So I just, I just found out, <laughs> but yeah, initially I was so confused and I couldn't like really put it together and I didn't really try at the same time, like I said, which I normally don't do, but I just loved what Kubrick did and I loved the mystery and I love that he kept us like, what? And normally like that'll get on people's nerves. Like sometimes people will like be upset about, about that. Like when movies do that, like how come they didn't explain it? But I, I just think Kubrick did it in a way where like you were like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and it was yeah. still so good, you know, like it didn't really upset you. Um, But yeah, so as far as that ending goes, um, so the movie is set in 1980, right? Uh, which was the current year at the time when it came out. Um, and Jack is in this hotel picture that's from 1921. So how could that be, right? Um, 
So basically, what I found from my research is that Stanley Kubrick actually did confirm that Jackie is reincarnated, um, which completely makes sense because if we go back to the conversation in the bathroom with the waiter, right, Jack recognizes this man's last name and he accuses him of being the murderer he saw in the newspaper. But notice this waiter from the 1920s his name is Delbert Grady, but the story that Jack is referring to is the 1970s one with the murderer being Charles Grady. Um, but remember, this waiter also says, I have always been here. And he even tells Jack, you have always been the caretaker. Um, and then... Um, if we also remember how Jack mentioned to Wendy... Uh, when he was eating breakfast, that he'd felt like he'd been there before as well. So there was that too. He's like, I I felt as if I knew what was coming around every corner, right? Um, and if you notice too, when he met Lloyd, the bartender, he like already knew him. He knew his name. Um, and then the bartender knew him as well. It kind of seemed like he was already known and he already knew the people and they knew him back or the ghosts, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and then going back to the waiter, um, uh, that he met in the bathroom, Delbert Grady. Um, he even has a wife and two daughters, just like Charles Grady, right? The man from the 70s um, that the manager told Jack about. So um, we can see right there that Charles is actually just a reincarnation. Oh, sorry, I hit my mic. <laughs> that Charles is actually just a reincarnated version of Delbert from the 1920s. Um, which is why Jack is like, I recognize you, right? But he has a different name and he's from a different era. So um, there's a lot of reincarnation that's going on. And um, it just kind of confirms that there's this sort of like cycle of violence that they keep coming back to fulfill, like for whatever reason. Um, but again, like we talked about, um, this hotel is built on Indian burial ground. Um, so when we kind of look back as well to the blood rushing from the elevator, um, that scene now makes sense because not only does it represent, you know, does that blood represent the accumulation of all the violence and murder that has taken place in the hotel, it also, to me, looks like it very likely represents the blood of the buried Indians and also the blood of those Indians who were whose lives were lost just so the hotel could be built. Um, because remember when they were taking the tour in the beginning, um, they did say that they had to fight off um, Indians just as they were building it. So you can imagine the confrontations that went on and there's probably lives lost during that time as well. So I feel like just all the shit that's going on in this hotel is kind of like a, an accumulation of all this energy, right? And all this violence, um, um, you know, the the hotel was built on cruelty when you think about it. So how could we expect anything else from this hotel <laughs> but creepy shit and like all this, you know, all this right, unexplainable, yeah. all these unexplainable things. Um, but yeah, there's just there's so much in this movie that's just endlessly debatable. We can just like go on about different theories. Um, there's so much that can be interpreted. Uh, and it's just it's so telling uh, to Stanley Kubrick's talent as a filmmaker. Um, and with that being said, do you have any debates or interpretations of your own or just like any final thoughts that you'd like to share about the movie? I honestly 
it makes so much more sense. Oops, sorry. I just like crying the water bottle. It makes so much more sense when you explain it that way. Uh-huh. Um, that he was just reincarnated because yeah. then it I don't know, it gives it some like it just makes it make sense because I was so confused. I was like, you know what? Like I was kind of like you where it ended and I was like, I don't even do I wanna know? Do I wanna question it? <laughs> Should I just leave exactly. it and assume it's because nothing ever makes sense in these type of movies? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when I was when I googled it, there were so many different theories that I just it just made me even more confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's different theories that's out there. So that's what I'm saying. Like it's endlessly debatable, and not just about the ending, but about like different elements of the film. Like maybe this happened because of this, and like there's so many different things that you can kind of like put together. But again, it's so. I mean, it just goes to show that Stanley Kubrick is so talented that he can do that. He can make yeah. a movie that can be interpreted in so many different ways. And I think he left a lot of things, you know, the way it was for that specific reason. Um, but yeah, there's definitely diff- many different theories, but um, that's what we're going with for now because he did confirm the reincarnation. <laughs> How long so really- did he um, confirm it? Was that recent or Ooh. was that as soon as the like soon after the film was released? Well, you know what? Kubrick is uh, he actually passed away in 1999. Um, so I, I, I don't know when he confirmed it. Um, I would say well, it was probably. <laughs> It wasn't recently. It was, closer, it was closer to the release date then. Yeah, okay. that's what I'm assuming. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming because you figure um, that was 19 years after the movie came out. He passed away. Um, but yeah, I have no idea. That's a good question. <laughs> but yeah, he probably must have confirmed it right away because, you know, it was a pretty successful film. And I'm sure everyone was like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I you know, I think for me, my final thought and question is just will Jack be reincarnated again? Or that, yeah, that, sorry, that that was my <laughs> right. Or or was the cycle of violence broken since Wendy and Danny escaped, which probably hasn't happened before with the previous murders? They were probably successful in the past, but this time they escaped. So I kind of wonder, and I don't know. I think you said you saw Dr. Sleep. I don't know if it answers it in that movie. I don't know, but I haven't seen it, so don't tell me. But- and I'm like, I just won't say anything. <laughs> I won't answer. But for me, I'm going to leave that as a little cliffhanger, question mark. I don't know, um, especially because this, you know, again, Kubrick's version was different, so that might have not have anything to do with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dr. Sleep. So I don't know if that's answered. But, yeah, that's my final thought is, like, is he going to be reincarnated again or was the cycle broken? Um, but yeah, we'll never know. Who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it for the movie discussion. The last thing that we're going to talk about is Halloween Horror Nights. You guys know I'm obsessed with Horror Nights. <laughs> I swear to God, I talk about it. Like I mention it somehow, some way in like every episode. Um, but for Halloween Horror Nights Hollywood and Halloween Horror Nights Orlando, um, they both did their own versions of the shining maze in 2017. Um, we both watched the mazes on YouTube, um, as we did in the us episode as well. And we're here to tell you which we think did a better job. Um, we'll also give you a chance to see them if you didn't get to walk through them in person, um, and decide which you think is better. And, um, that will be on our Instagram this week. So look out for that. Um, so I will start, I am going to have to go with 
Hollywood again <laughs> for this maze. I picked Hollywood last time for the Us maze as well. Um, you know, there's so many standout moments in the Orlando maze, like their facade. There I go with that word again. I'm reading it right this time. Facade. <laughs> um, because I, I kept saying facade for the longest time. I can't believe myself. Okay. Um, but <laughs> But Orlando's facade was so good. I actually did like their facade better um, because they had like this snow machine and you walked in and looked like it was snowing and it was so beautiful. So I actually did like that one better. Um, the Lloyd bartender scene just fucking blew me away. Oh my God. It was so beautifully done. Um, that was probably my favorite part of the whole Orlando maze. Um, the Grady twins making an appearance. Um was super cool. I kind of wish Hollywood would have done that. Um, and I love that they had, uh, like an actual flood of blood coming out. Um, that was great. However, I'm going with Hollywood because Hollywood always has a way of making you feel like you're in the movie, like walking right through it. Um, they're so consistent with, um, like the detail, like the lighting, like everything feels just like it did in the scene. You know what I mean? So they're so on point with it. Um, whereas Orlando can kind of overdo it sometimes, like how they kind of had, like for, for example, like for this film um, being turned into a maze, like they kind of had all this disorienting strobe light and like the whole time during the maze, it was very dark. It was kept super dim. Um, which is not really like the lighting that we see in the movie. So like Hollywood was, was very consistent with like the actual lighting of the movie. Um, whereas like they were like kind of um, where like Orlando was super focused on kind of making the maze, this spooky Halloween type of maze. And it's like, it's great. Don't get me wrong. Like if this was an original maze that had nothing to do with any movie and it was just like their own, it would probably be like the fucking best maze there. But um, really, at the end of the day, like all that kind of stuff didn't have anything to do with the movie. So, but Hollywood, Hollywood's like, no, I'm going to put you right in the movie. <laughs> and I love that. I love that they do that every year. Um, and it's just my personal preference. Um, and um, Maggie's not here with us today, but she, her and I actually walked through this maze together. And we went multiple times because we got the frequent fear pass where you get to like keep going back. It's like a it's like a little annual pass, but for only for horror nights. Um, so we walked through this maze together uh, like multiple times and in Hollywood, by the way, we've never been to Orlando. Um, and it was our it was our personal favorite that year. It was just so good. Um, but enough of me. <laughs> I went into so much detail. You don't have to do that. But basically, we want to know what is your favorite? Do you pick Orlando or do you pick Hollywood? Yeah. So when I first went, I have not been to either. Mm -hmm. um, so just watching the videos, I thought the Orlando one, I don't know, it caught, it caught my attention. Um, but mm -hmm. I thought the ending of the Orlando one kind of dragged and was a little boring. And then really? when I watched the, yeah, when I watched the Hollywood one, the like the final walkthrough um, – was so much more captivating and it like left you or left me actually feeling like, okay, they left all the good stuff for the end. Whereas the <laughs> one in, um, in Orlando kind of like threw everything at you in the beginning and then just, I don't know, it like Enjoy. died down. <laughs> yeah. the shine, or not the shining. It is the shining. The, um, the Hollywood one, I feel like it was so much more like you're walking through a museum. 
like a shining mm-hmm. museum where you get to appreciate yeah. everything that was in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that about it. Like I said, I kind of love that it was so consistent with the movie. Yeah, that was actually a perfect way of putting it. I never thought of it. <laughs> yeah, because when you walk through a museum like of anything, it feels like you're actually there, right? So if it's a movie, you feel like you're there. So that's what I love about Hollywood. Um, um, so which one's your favorite? <laughs> oh, I know. I'm like, I probably I'm like what else was I going to say? <laughs> I'm like, um, kept going. Yeah, I completely went around that answer. No, I do no, think it's okay. Hollywood. I think Hollywood like tied it together really well. Overall, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just again, it's just a preference because I can see where people would actually think Orlando was the better one. And um where like Hollywood, uh Hollywood does does do that though, like you said, like they kind of um they start off a little slower and kind of like more like it's almost like a little more like sightseeing and there's a lot of scenery and like scares come at you, but not like a lot. And then toward the end they just like build up. They do that with all their mazes. Um, but Orlando's different, you know, I, I got to visit them for real, like in person. Um, cause I never have, but I'm kind of just like experience it for myself. But from what I'm noticing from the videos, they just do things a lot different, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> Hollywood wins again one last time, but yeah, let us know what you guys think. We're going to put up the videos for you guys to see. Um, and we'll let you guys decide as well. Um, but yeah, that is it uh, for our show today. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us all the way through. Um, and like I said in the beginning, we always love to hear your feedback. Um, we'd love to know your thoughts. Um, so you can do that uh, through our Instagram. Connect with us there. That's going to be at Horror Whores Pod. Um, all of our personal handles are there as well, except for Maggie's because she's MIA from Instagram right now, but she'll be back soon, (laughs) but you'll find all of our, uh, personal pages there. Um, and don't forget to check out the rest of our shows from the nerdy bunch too. Uh, the schedule is up on Instagram, which is at the dot nerdy dot bunch. Um, and again, um, Vivian's other podcast, Amalgam, is Mondays. Um, And then again, you'll see the rest of the schedule on there. Um, So thank you so much again. And we hope you guys have a killer day. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Horror Horse. Horror Horse is a Nerdy Bunch production. This podcast is produced by Justine Luenas and Ivan Gonzalez. Sound engineer is by Ivan Gonzalez. For exclusive content, please check out our website, www.mymerybunch.com. Ooh, bitches.